0: right there liam here regular listeners will be like what the fuck where's the theme tune where's the band sponsorship of the podcast i fucking hate change starters just calm down my friend you're gonna like this because our buddies at 2000 trees festival want to give you 10 off well not you particular just you everyone listening to this podcast 2000 trees festival takes place from the 6th to the 9th of july in cheltenham for people who don't know geography of the uk it's only a couple of hours from london this year's headliners are idols Fryce, and jimmy world the lineup also includes one of my favorite bands at the moment knocked london loose and friends of the pod laura jane grace chubby and the gang anti flag and a pup i want to let you know that i'm taking no money to promote this festival i'm doing it because two thousand trees is a truly independent rock festival and it's fucking fun a great space to hang out and that's why it's won a shit ton of awards you can even go back to episode 16 of this podcast where i spoke to james scarlett one of the founders of of 2000 trees festival so if you're searching for an outside festival this summer with a killer lineup then let's all go hang out at 2000 trees from the 6th to the 9th of july so how do you get the 10% off your tickets well quite simply all you need to do is use the promo code punks in pubs one word at checkout once again use the promo code punks in pubs one word at checkout right back to normality everyone calm down it is okay
1: Hello, you beautiful people. This is Mark from London's Take Aim Fire. You're listening to the Awesome Punks in Pubs podcast. Please support this and let others know about this podcast. So let me introduce you to our latest single and the title track from our mini-LP, Be Careful What You Wish For. It's also on our greatest hits album that's coming out soon. All our music is always free and is available on all streaming outlets. If you want to get in touch, go through our Facebook page, but enjoy the rest of this podcast and hope to see you out on the road soon. So this is Take A Fire, and be careful what you wish for.
0: Welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird and once again I am a sick puppy. You might be able to tell by my nasally gravelly voice. Uh, I think my immune system has decided to pack up and fuck off for the whole of the winter and won't be coming back until the summer. So I look forward to being hooked up on cough and flu drugs while asking myself is it COVID? Is this COVID? Is this cough COVID? Have I got COVID? And then finding out oh, I haven't actually still got COVID. Anyway, How the fuck are you? How the fuck are you? How are you? How are you? you? Doesn't mean to sound as aggressive, but that is a legit question. How are you? January can be a tough month for some, and that's why I decided to speak to someone who is bringing some optimism and inspiration into this world for this month's episode. So, for this month's episode, I speak to Punk Rock Saving Lives co-founder rob rushing Uh, for people who don't know punk rock saves lives is a non-for-profit charity that works within the punk community and outside and focuses on health and well-being with an emphasis on mental health human rights and equality they are based in the us but have a global ambition as you will hear in this hour-long chat with rob before this interview i have never spoken to rob in my life but i quickly realized that he is a guy that you can kind of just wind up and just let go and he will talk He will talk and talk and talk. I think I asked two questions in the first 30 minutes of our hour-long chat, uh, which is not a slight on Rob. His story is a fascinating one, and I just wanted to shut the fuck up and hear it. So Rob talks about his Southern American upbringing and how that kind of Southern hospitality charm has done him wonders in creating punk rock saves lives. You will hear how Rob went from being a roadie working in Nashville to signing up over a quarter of a million people to America's national Mara Donor registration list. And also he talks about how a Welsh rock band called The Alarm inspired him to dedicate his life to doing good. You can find out more about what Punk Rock Saves Lives does by clicking the link in the episode description. But you're going to hear about it, like, literally right now, because I'm going to shut up. So, this is my chat with Rob Rushing, co founder of Punk Rock Saves Lives.
1: Life is a demonstrated dream, a work of art. It can't be as real as our beliefs. Forget what you thought, kill the machine, and free from the flood. Don't you know you can't be anything, anything, anything in this world that you want La 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 la, oh love.
0: afternoon rob how are you in uh i think you just said sunny colorado as we uh we spoke a second ago
2: believe it or not it is sunny today we got back here yesterday and it wasn't sunny yesterday so coming back i I, we're not really supposed to tell the world this because too many people will move here but uh even though denver does have its cold periods it's about 300 days of sunshine so it's one of those areas that you get a lot of sun and it's very nice the joke is they don't want more people moving here because it's, it's one of those cities that everybody's moving to and <laughs> changing changing our fair city. But I can't talk. I moved here in 2011, so I've been here a while now, but I'm definitely not a native. So, 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 where, so where, would, where would home be? It's kind of weird. I grew up, I call Savannah, Georgia home. I grew mm-hmm. up there, but I lived most of my adult life in Nashville, Tennessee. So, 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 you're, um, so
0: you're a southern boy then, really?
2: I, I am a southern boy yes and, so. and have
0: you brought that southern hospitality with you wherever you go is that something that is kind of ingrained at you at such a young age
2: very much so the use of ma'am and sir as a um what, what's the word I'm looking for a respect you know to hmm. whoever and you know that when I and one funny story of that is in cultural differences I moved here to Denver the first week I was here I was moving my bank accounts and stuff and I said uh, ma'am to someone and she was younger than me at the bank and she kind of dressed me up and down and kind of bitched at me and told me I was calling her old <laughs> and all of this. And I said, uh, no, ma'am, it, to me is a term of respect and I was offering you respect even though I just met you. And if you want to treat me like that, then I will deem to remove that respect. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of the the southern way of saying, uh, you know, bless your heart is not a it's not a good saying when yeah. they say that to you. That's usually a southerner kind of not even having pity on you. Just kind of it, it can be a very gentile and nice society, and the manners are taught big time in the south. But it can also be really mean, you know. So <laughs> it's like and, sniper you know. fire.
0: You don't yeah. you don't yeah. know you've been shot, but you've been shot. Uh, yeah. it's interesting because I, I used to work as a documentary maker and I was down and I did a documentary in New Orleans and it was about southern hospitality and, and to see if it was a real thing or if it was actually kind of a tourist trap for, for city or westerners like me to come down. And like I discovered, it was a legitimate thing. When I landed, I was jet lagged as hell. And um, I was staying in a place in Algiers, which if you don't know, you need to get a boat from New Orleans to Algiers. So I was getting this boat and, and I just sat down. And in London, if anyone talks to you and you do not know them, that means you're either going to get mugged or you're going to get in a fight. So like instantly when this guy just turned to me, he's like, hey, where are you from? You you all right? How how are things? I'm like, why are you talking to me? Like just my, my instant harshness of like, get the F away from me. I don't know you. Why are we talking? And then over a space of like two weeks, I found myself just going, just asking people, hey, how are you? And it was just like such a trans- transformation of like how you kind of easily get into a culture. And I loved it. And I've brought it home. Like my whenever I'm walking down the street, I would say like, hello, how are you to to random strangers? Uh, and my girlfriend looks at me like, why are you talking to them? Like, you don't know them. It's weird.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm bad about uh, just striking up a conversation. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, Tina, the the co-founder, along with myself and a few others. Um, Tina is my wife, but we did this together. And there's a little bit of an age difference. And she swears that I'm... Have you seen... I don't know if you get them over there, but there's a commercial series here for an insurance company. Homeowners are turning into their parents when they buy a home. So I watch a lot of
0: NFL. So we we get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: She swears that's me. I I like (laughs) just start talking to somebody about nothing in the middle of nowhere. and That's the me being too old for how old i am you know what i mean (laughs) but it's uh i think it's just the the way i was brought up and you know we tend to give respect everywhere around obviously you know the south gets hit with a lot of negative connotations and it it earned it in a lot of ways and but there's a lot of good that comes out of there and uh it seems that the people that leave um that migrate or move around the country or whatever you want to call it, take the good parts with them a lot. So it's, there's a lot of, there seems to be a lot of Southern influence in Denver because when I first moved here, like every third person I met had moved here from Tennessee, Georgia, uh, North Carolina, all those Southern states, everybody had migrated out here. We're into the punk scene and Denver has a huge punk scene, but Denver also has a gigantic jam band scene or, um, hippie scene for lack of better terms. And a lot of those people were part of that. And they, they came here to be part of that. And there's a lot of the, the politeness and the openness and, uh, willing to talk and willing to, you know, just be equal and open to everybody, which is pretty, pretty cool. That's one thing. Obviously every town has its struggles with, you know, with race relations and all of that. But most of what I see out here in the Denver area seems to be, I mean, there's obviously still problems, but as a whole, everybody just kind of gets along and does their thing. So it's, and I think that's thats a start.
0: So I, I think people might know about the charity that you work for, Punk Rock S- Saves Lives, but they may not know who you are. So I—I I, I, what would be good is trying to get to know who you are and try and understand how you're the guy who got nearly quarter of a million people signed up to a national <laughs> marrow donor registry in in america so before we start touching on punk rock saves lives i mean we've already kind of started touching on you like your upbringing and growing up in tennessee i think when people hear the south i think they think of guns and religion they're, they're like the two things i think stereotypically rightly or wrongly they're the things that people will think it's, about
2: it's there it's definitely there yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so so how much did, did that like culture kind of play into your life and how much was it when you moved away and i don't know if this is the case that you kind of. Of rebelled against it
2: well it's kind of um it's kind of neat you know i grew up mostly in georgia and went to college in georgia savannah is a little different it's a very southern city where i grew up but maybe the definition of southern city maybe that or new orleans you know you can you can argue those points there but growing up there the art college was there savannah college of art and design one of the biggest art schools in the country so there's a lot of different influences there and savannah's a very arty arty city and people so i was lucky to be embraced and dipped into all of these different scenes i got to see a lot of cool art growing up the music scene was incredible in georgia and you know i come out of the music scene where rem were playing in little bitty clubs and doing it themselves and you had all of the Atlanta punk rock scene and 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 all of that happening in Athens Georgia blowing up with all of its bands and so we got we got dipped into a lot of really cool stuff luckily uh, just in that time frame to be you know completely honest I was growing up a regular kid I always thought like I had a sense of of fair play I played a lot of sports I was you would call me a jock I didn't want to be that jock that treated people bad. And I probably did. We probably picked on people. I know we picked on like the freshmen and stuff in sports and stuff like that, but I didn't ever want to be that. I wanted to just be fair and everything. And then my world got kind of turned around a lot when I really found and got embraced in the punk rock scene and especially the seven seconds, the, the bands that really were standing on the front line of equal rights, equal, you know, no racism, all of that. And it really spoke to me and that's what I wanted to do. So I took that forward going into college. I went to college in a small town called Statesboro, Georgia. And yes, it is the song that Statesboro blues was written about Um, real, real place. And um, when I got there, I found my, my tribe of, of friends and we became we were the music scene in town, all of the band, there were only, you know, maybe 10 bands in the whole city and everybody hung out at everybody's apartment every night. There was a different, you know, house party every night. There was a different, you know, we'd go, we'd take adventures out to go to swimming holes and stuff like that, all of us together. And it really became a tribe. And I consider some of those people, my dear, dear friends to this day. And, um, That opened our minds up and, you know, we start forming bands and a couple of those bands would start to get, you know, some shows outside of Statesboro, you know, Savannah shows and up to Athens and up to Atlanta. And, you know, if you got a show in Athens or Atlanta back then, you had made it. You were. (laughs) And so we would go play these shows and have a blast and we would follow our friends to those shows and we started meeting more people outside that were like us, you know, and what we were seeing. And that really was the dawn of the, the explosion of, you know, Nirvana and all of that happened right at the end of that in the 91, 92 time period. And so all of this music just exploded. We were all college DJs um, and our station in Statesboro was completely um, self-programmed you got to choose your own music there was no so you could come in as long as you weren't breaking fcc laws and you know playing cuss words and everything you could play anything and we had friends that would play a polka followed by seven seconds followed by nirvana followed by you know what i mean and it was so much fun and it opened our eyes to so much stuff lots of lots of funk lots of you know rap rock lots of rap lots of uh, just grunge a lot of punk it was just awesome and we so, got to so were yeah. you
0: were you around like 18 nineteen 20 21 around when you're like doing those DJing? things so yep. so if you don't mind just kind of rewinding back then so so when you were a little younger um at what age were you start listening to punk like you said that Kevin uh, seven seconds were the band that kind of really opened your eyes yeah I started
2: what- I started picking up on a lot of the punk when I was uh, 15, 16, 17. And so, um, so who
0: was bringing that to you then? What, like, was it siblings? Was it friends?
2: No, it was it was friends. And my, one of my biggest things was I was really a music kid my whole life. I loved music. Um, here's a deep, dark secret. I was a huge Duran Duran fan <laughs> and when I was you know 13 14 15 we are all
0: Duran Duran fans even if you don't want to admit it we all are yeah
2: you better you better learn to admit it they were they were (laughs) and are still an amazing amazing band they wrote a lot of incredible songs they still are producing music to this day uh John Taylor is the most underrated bass player to ever walk the face of the earth is working sorry
0: um (laughs) they they heard a british uh, band and they're just like oh home yeah
2: yeah british band but uh but we can get into wells in a few minutes and i'll you'll you probably know this already but we'll get there in a second but come to the end of the 91 late night early 92 i moved back to savannah for a year or so and just was trying to figure out what i was going to do with life and luckily um my biological father um, he had not luckily that he hadn't been there for me a lot in my life, but he was really trying to get back into my life at that time. And he, and he had, I have two step, not stepbrothers, half brothers, yeah. half brothers that he had later on. And I'm actually old enough to be my little brother's dad. Um, they were born when I was in college. So, um, he and the two boys, we're living in a house in Nashville. And my dad was like, Hey, I know you're figuring out what you're going to do with your life at this point. I have this house. It's just me and your two little brothers move up here to Nashville, live with us. And you can do what you want to do. And you know, you're 23 years old. You're going, Hey man, now that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I took a, I took a chance and I packed up my whole life and I moved to Nashville and The first night I was in town, I went, I I saw that one of my favorite bands, a couple of my favorite bands were playing a show and I went to that show. And while I'm standing there, the first night in town, I start talking to the, like one of the runners of the venue we're at and told him my history and that I'd worked for some bands and I toured with some bands and he was like, well, you know, we need a, we need a new house crew. And so the first night I'm in town, I get a job at what was kind of a famous music hall in in Nashville called Three Twenty Eight Performance Hall, and so for the next few years, I would I worked there, being a, kind of a roadie for every band that came through. I just I was the local guy that if you needed to run to the music store, it was my car we took, you know, and all of that. So I I got to work with every band you could imagine. Cause think about, think about the scene in 93, 94, 95, 96. It was when alternative rock ruled the world. I mean, it really took over. And so, but it wasn't all, it wasn't all rock. I worked for some country acts. I worked for some, you know, rap acts. I worked for a little bit of everything and it was in, just incredible. And I kept making friendships through all of that and everything. And, um, then I, believe it or not, I kind of, after a while, this is the funny part, I took a 10-year hiatus from the music business and was a golf pro. <laughs> so I it's ran.
0: a natural progression. It's, this, yeah. it's the story of this time.
2: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, I I had gotten into playing some golf with some music buddies, and it just took hold, and I, you know, I started doing it, and – then I got a job at a at a club, being a marshal, and then the pro helped teach me play better, and then hired me as an assistant. And then I ended up running a course outside of Nashville for a few years. Um, but um, here comes the the big move, though is unfortunately in two thousand nine, one of my best friends in the world uh, passed away, and you're not supposed to die at 32 years old. It's not what we're, it's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to die old in our beds after living a crazy productive life, right? That's our, that's everybody's thought of what you do. But um, he died of, he, people think he died of cancer. He didn't die of cancer. He died of an enlarged heart. Uh, he got the flu and the doctors didn't know his heart was enlarged. And before they could figure out what was going on, his body shut down. But that that really changed my perspectives and that I was like, you know, we're not supposed, this is not supposed to happen. This is too young. Um, and so without sounding like one of the hippies I was talking about earlier, I felt like I had like a third eye open or something during that time period that I was looking for something. I felt like I was living in the world, but I wasn't doing good or bad. I was just living. And I felt like I needed to do something. Um, A few months after he passed away, I was sitting at the golf course on a cold snowy day. Nobody was playing golf. I was flipping channels on the um, big screen in the clubhouse. And there was a documentary about, and here we go into Wales. Uh, The lead singer of my, one of my very favorite bands of my whole life and other musicians climbing a mountain to raise money And when I say a mountain, it was Everest, um, which the mountain of all mountains, uh, they hiked Mount Everest to raise money for cancer and to fight cancer. And that was Mike Peters of the alarm. And if you're a Welsh or British music fan, you've got to know the alarm. Um, never, never the biggest band in the world, never got what they deserved. Uh, but they still, he still goes to this day, um, But he had started this hike and through the hike, they continued on to create the Love Hope Strength Foundation. And the documentary talks about that. And at the end, I wait till the end of the documentary. I watch the whole thing. And then I picked up the phone and dialed the number listed for them in Denver, Colorado, of all places. And a a young man answered the phone and I I just kind of went into this whole thing about Hey, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm in, I've got friends in the music business. I want to do what y'all do. Tell me what I need to do. And the guy goes, um, he talked to me a little bit and he hung up and this is his story. He called the director of the charity at that point and said, Hey, I just got off the phone with Nashville with a guy that might've been, might be crazy. And she goes, well, why, why is he crazy? And he, he goes, Well, he wants to basically do what we do, you know, do the bone marrow drives and stuff. And he doesn't want any money. He just wants to do it. And she goes, well, what's crazy about that? (laughs) Get him going. So um, I started using my old music contacts around Nashville. And I would call the Mercy Lounge, the Cannery Ballroom, uh, the Exit Inn, all of these famous clubs from Nashville. And I would say, hey this band's playing that night. I think it would be that they would, their crowd would be good for this. Can I come down and set up a table? And people knew me. So they said, yes. And I started doing the, what you were talking about, the 250,000 starts at this point where we start getting people. And that was, became Love Hope Strings main mission was to build the national marrow donor program. And so I would go to a concert, I would talk to people, just literally talk to concert goers and go, Hey, you got a chance to help save a life. And they'd go, what? And I'm like, we're signing people up for the national marrow donor program. It's a simple form and a cheek swab. And if your cheek cells ever match someone that's suffering a blood cancer, you get a phone call and you might could donate stem cells out of your blood or marrow from your hip to save a life. And you know, TV and movies have made marrow to be the hardest thing in the world. And then it's the most painful thing in the world. And it's really not anymore because 80 to 90% of the time now it's stem cell collection. So it's kind of like donating platelets. Um, they do still have to do the, the hip surgery every so often. And that's usually if you match a young child, but I don't know about you, but I would go through a little pain to save someone. Um, no, that's not for everybody, you know, obviously. So, um, but I start doing this in clubs just out of the, out of that. And I, I got my friends involved and we had our own little team and we were Love Hope Strength Nashville and we would, and we started getting matches. We started getting all of the good of it. And after about two years of volunteering and in, in 2011, Love Hope Strength asked me if I would move to Denver and come to work for them and do it full time. I took a $30,000 a year pay cut and packed up my life and moved across the country.
1: This is the first night of the rest of our lives. I cannot wonder how is it we're still alive. Welcome to the first night of the rest of our lives. Oh, yeah. And I said, welcome to the first night of the rest of our lives.
2: moved my whole life to 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 denver and started using my influence and working with the people that were there already with the bands that they had and finding us more bands. And we start going for this. And for 10 years, um, well, I I counted as 10 because of the volunteering, but they hired me in 2011. And between 2011 and November of 2019, October 31st of 2019, I worked for them. And we were swabbing and swabbing, and we broke well over two hundred and fifty thousand people in the National Maradona program. I didn't swab every one of those people. Obviously, it's all about the volunteers, it's all about the people working with you. But I put us there. I tried everything I could to get us more. We were constantly on the road. I was I was living um, living on people's couches and then friends of ours pitched in. And the Floggy Molly cruise have all the people that go on that cruise raised money and bought me a little camper that I towed behind the, behind a Honda Element. And I drove all over the country. Unfortunately, that camper blew a wheel bearing at 65 miles per hour and totaled itself, but it didn't kill us. Um, and I then replaced it with uh, salty camper number two. Nice little shout out to Chris number two from Anti-Flag there, one of our, Buds and heroes. Um, But it's a RV that I still have to this day that has punk rock saves lives all over it now. And I drive it around the country behind festivals and band tours. And I, I don't give up the, but to back up though. So we went through all that and I spent 10, 10 years working for Mike Peters from the alarm who founded the charity Incredibly inspirational human, lives with cancer every day, uh, writes killer music. But in 2019, they had just decided that kind of the the charity had run its course, for lack of better terms. Um, and they pulled the outreach program, which meant mine. And I had met my wife through all of this. And she had joined us. And she and I were the last two employees of the charity And so they are still an active charity, especially in England. So, uh, check that out. The love, hope, strength.uk.co.uk or is it. Okay. Uh, still a fabulous charity and doing a lot of good. And they, they take money to cancer organizations and, and to cancer wings and all sorts. They go, they do a lot of good. So, Never a bad word about them. Matter of fact, uh, Mike and the Alarm just donated a song to the second Punk Rock Saves Lives uh, vinyl comp that's coming out. So they have a song on there. Um, but they basically laid us off. October 31st of 2019 was the last day. And when we found the news out you know, a month or so before that, I, I was in the middle of a tour in, with Fogging Molly and I was out on the road and my wife was at home and we were both just kind of, you know, spinning, trying to figure out, okay, this has been our life. What do we do now? And she and I talked a lot and agreed that we weren't done doing good in the world. And um, if they weren't going to do the outreach we could and then i talked to nathan from flogging molly the bass player one of my dear friends and he and i discussed my idea of punk rock saves lives and then i called justin from anti-flag and we talked about it uh adam from the faction and i talked a lot about it and nobody uh, to a person said that it wasn't a good idea and so November 1 of 2019, we launched Punk Rock Saves Lives. And our first gig was the Foggy Molly cruise. And so we, trying to figure out our missions and everything through that, you know, we were still going to keep the bone marrow component because it's something that's incredibly dear to my heart. And it's something that's very needed. But we wanted to be able to move and shake and do different types of social activations and mental activations. And um, so we were going to be open to do so much more, but have the expertise that we had built doing so many tours, so many festivals, knowing how to move and shake in the music industry without getting in the way. We, we, we pride ourselves on if a band takes us on a tour, we're just like another opening band. We just don't get on stage. We know how to get ourselves there. We get there early. We get there set up and we're done. And we're not in anybody's way. And we leave at the end of the night and go on to the next city. And that I wanted the idea, the emphasis of Punk Rock Saves Lives was that we could really do so much more and do say, I always said, we could do stuff that interests the bands. And the the thing I always said was, say Pennywise wanted us to go on tour. Pennywise is really big about keeping the beaches and Huntington beach clean and all sorts of stuff like that. We could do that. We could raise money on their tour for them for Huntington beach. You know what I mean? Or whatever, whatever a band needed, we can move and shake and do that. And that's kind of what it's kind of what it's become in a ways. We're still doing a ton of marrow drives. Um, but, then, um can we go to COVID now? I mean, you—you're—I you, mean, your name's Rob Rushing, but you are
0: going through this, and uh, I feel like <laughs> I'm not really done my job for asking you questions. I'm just kind of enjoying listening to to what you're saying. And there are a couple I've, of things that you have said that I do want to go back to because, okay, going from music to golf, there's a story there. Uh, <laughs> there's things that I'm happy to go back to. So, if mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I, I'm I'm kind of interested to know. Really about like the impact that that you have had on on people and and the the work that you've done. Y- you go out. You've been doing swabs. Have you met the people that you've saved? Like, has have people got in contact with you and told you what you have done has literally saved my life?
2: Yeah, that's one of our biggest thrills. Is we we get to meet people that sometimes have received a transplant, and it might not and. And the thing is, they would never know if it was from us, mm. um, but they see us at a festival. They see us at a concert and they they tell us their stories. And that just changes your I mean, really, if you know, the Grinch moment when his heart triples in size, it's true every time, every time you you hear someone that's like they they literally thank us for doing this because they were saved by a stranger. And it was a stranger that took that swab somewhere. Or spit in England, you used to spit in the tube. So I don't know if they still do that or not. I know some COVID tests are like that now. But, um, and, um, we meet a lot that say they'll, they'll come up to us at, say, Riot Fest, um, two years after we signed them up, like, Hey, I signed up with you two years ago and I got a call to donate. And you're just like, you know, that's, That's the moment, you know, you're actually doing something that really, really matters. Um, And it's starting to really move that way, not only with the marrow, but we're having people come up out of the blue. Like I just did. I just went out with anti-flag for three months and we toured the country and up into Canada and getting people coming out of the woodwork saying that they're seeing our mental health stuff. And that it's helped them get through COVID or helped them get through a rough situation. Just, man, I, I I don't know how to explain it. And I'll never, maybe that's the addiction that keeps me going into this, for lack of better terms, that knowing you did something and having someone tell you what you did for them without even knowing them is, it's an incredible it's every time it's, I, I can only describe it as the Grinch moment when his heart basically brushed out of his chest. And it's true. It just getting to make a difference in our little world. You know, this, we always think of this being a big, bad world, but it's really not that big anymore. Thanks to internet. Thanks to Zoom. Thanks to podcast we're we're everywhere you know i'm sitting on a couch in denver and you're in london you know and it you know hopefully we'll come to london and go to some of these pubs with you you know that's always a that's, warm beer ready for you oh yes <laughs> it is it is kind of warm you know <laughs> but i love I, my, my biggest laugh every time i come to the i come to great britain in any way shape or form is the taps that say extra cold and i'm like <laughs> uh no we're just girls bed Carl's bed extra cold and you're like it's not cold I
0: mean we're we're sarcastic fucks mate (laughs) it's it's just one big joke for us
1: London calling to the faraway towns now war is declared and battle come down London calling to the underworld come out of the cupboard you boys and girls London calling
0: your background like you said like your background was kind of um working in music uh saying up shows like how much did did from that work have you transferred into what you're doing now I know like you're on the road constantly uh doing <laughs> yeah, those shows, that's... but like from the from the beginning of the idea of creating something and using kind of like your work punk ethic and, and how you've built this nonprofit charity that, that is, uh, as you, as, as the, as the line goes, saving lives.
2: That's where I was talking about how I treat. And I think my wife and I both do treat the charity like it's another band. We, we are booking tours. We're booking festivals and we have the expertise that we've been, touring and we've been at all of these festivals and um i can i can set us up to be that activation at a and tour without it without it getting in the way and i think that's what the bands like and that's one of the one of the real you know selling points i give a band when we talk to them about coming on tour is we're going to make your band look really good because we're going to possibly find a life-saving match or so on your tour, we're going to do some mental health aspects. We, we've we just lately gotten into the – we were approved by the state of Colorado to get unlimited Narcan. So we can carry Narcan with us to give out to people to carry where you can save a life. What's Narcan? You, um, Sorry. I, I don't know
0: what that Narcan is. Narcan
2: is the drug that you can give a person ODing. Um, it's a nasal spray, mm-hmm. and it can bring them back to life. It's so it's, it's big time in the harm reduction and safe use communities. And, you know, bottom line, are drugs bad for people? Yes. Are people going to do drugs? Yes. Should you die from doing it? And the big, the big thing has come that people are putting narc. I mean, putting uh, fentanyl in drugs that, it shouldn't be there. And that's causing the overdose. Um, so should you die from doing a drug that you think you're doing when you're doing something else? like No um, safe use. If you're going to use safe use is the way to go. So um, by distributing so many people have that, you know, the opioid addict, uh, uh, epidemic in America was is gigantic um I don't know I'm sure you have some there but in America especially in rural America it is an epidemic and more people die from that than anything else when if we could get enough Narcan if everybody even if you just are carrying it in your pocket and you see someone collapse if you spray it in their nose you could save their life and it's um so we've started with that. I had a little bit on the anti-flag tour that I would give away, and a lot of it comes. And we're lucky that we work hand in hand with the Sidewalk Project out of L.A. Yes, and that is uh, Stacy D from Bad Cop Bad Cop, and Salmo Snake Oil, and a few other people that started a rad charity that really go into Skid Row and try to hands-on help these people survive drug use and, and homelessness. And, and we got to doing so much with them that they gave us our first parts of some cases of Narcan to give out at shows and stuff just to, what if you got it in the right person's hand and when they're leaving the show, some other person had taken, taken something and they collapse, you know what I mean? They shouldn't just die you
0: know so is this something that can only be distributed in colorado it's not something you could take on the road no
2: they're giving it to us to give out around anywhere we see fit so so interesting
0: question going back to like rural roots and i suppose whereabouts the the mindset of drugs is is probably kind of still law and order Like, do you get people opposing what you're doing and, and, and trying to stop you maybe setting up a table if they know what you're doing is handing out this possible life-saving tool?
2: No, we haven't really had anyone. We've had a lot of people thank us. Um, It's just like a, it's kind of a secondary activation. Like we'll have the bone marrow drive, but I have some Narcan on the table and Hey, Are you in situations where you might need this? Mm. No judgment or anything. Yeah, please take one. You know, and at least it's in the more you have in people's if everybody walking around had Narcan in their pocket, more lives would be saved. And that's not that's not telling people to go do drugs. We're trying to save people's lives that might or have done drugs. And that's not. I don't think drugs is a death sentence. Um, Nobody should. And so if we can, you know, save one more person, it's, you know, from, and ODing is horrific. It's not, nobody wants to do that. Nobody sets out to overdose, you know? And so it's a, it's a great secondary or, are a different thing to have with us just to increase our chances of saving lives in so many different ways. Um, you know, the, the mental health aspects have become that big, just simple knowing somebody will talk to you and not judge you for your mental health stability. And that's, we've created all of these online peer groups. You know, we have a separate mental health group where people it's an open, safe space where you can say, this is what's been going through my mind. This is what's affecting me. And if, you, if you're in there, part of it, please join. It's on Facebook. Uh, but remember, it is incredibly a safe space. And if you violate the, we will bring you out. We will take you out real quick. But this is a place for people to talk. Nobody is licensed professionals. It's punks helping punks. And people being able to say, okay, here's this. And through it all, we've been finding um, like the Better Health Organization. It's an app where you can get online therapy. And they've come to us and given us, you know, people get their first four visits free if mm. they need it. All they have to do is email us and you can get four visits with an actual therapist for free. And we're working on, and anybody that sees us or listens, or um, please reach out to us if you're a, a licensed therapist. And we're trying to build a network in the United States in each state because everybody's laws are a little different. But if if you're a therapist or a counselor or something, and you would like to, you know, donate a couple of hours a month for your state, if someone calls us, we have people to refer to. You know, once again, none of us are licensed professionals. We're just, we're friends and we want you to know you've got someone you can ask those hard questions with to begin with. And if we can get you, if you want to, we can get you to license to therapists, to real health professionals. Once again, it's saving lives. It's maybe someone doesn't take the step that they were close to taking and, That's the, that, you know, and that's those things just thrill me to no end when someone sees that or thanks us or, and, and that was one of the biggest things with the anti-flag tour and Riot Fest and everything is people, we had a, we had a family come up to the table at Riot Fest that their, um, their son or grandson had signed up at Riot Fest and had donated marrow to someone and they just were blown away and they wanted to talk to us and take pictures and then they sent us a picture of the kid on uh, Instagram a few weeks later and it was incredible. This guy donated and possibly saved someone's life and it started at Riot Fest with us, you know what I mean? So how much more of a thrill could that ever be, you know? So That drives us, pushes us every day. Doing the good work is is a pretty amazing idea you know
0: i just very so. quickly want to go back to, to mental health because it's something that i'm a big advocate of opening and talking about it, it's something that the reason this podcast started was because of poor mental health and the reason i actually got paused was because of uh sorry yeah of, of poor mental health as well so whenever i get the opportunity to talk about it i'm always interested to talk about it but my question to to you really is do you think it's Within the punk community, which is something that you work within with the work that you do going on tour, you see you see the artists hang around. Do you still think it's kind of a taboo subject matter to talk about or do you think it's like it is openly talk, spoken about?
2: I think it's getting better. I think people are still at times not ashamed, but afraid mm-hmm. more to talk and speak out that they need help or um, or they want help. Um, it you know, in my time period of being, I was taught, um, oh, you're okay. We don't talk about that. Uh, reps and dirt on it. You'll be okay. You know, tough guy. Um, uh, one of the big things I try to push, um, is especially men being able to open up, you know, we were, we were told not to, you know, and, You know, telling one of the one one big thing I've been saying on all of our PMA sessions, and I bring it up all the time, tell your plutonic friends you love them. You know, we weren't, we didn't do that. You know what I mean? You didn't, you didn't tell your best friend you loved them. You you fist bumped or something, but it's okay. It's okay to love is a very powerful emotion and a very powerful thing and mental health getting past the stigma and you're seeing a lot almost every mental health organization is talking about erase the stigma and the stigma mental health is you're weak and that's not true um getting past that erasing that stigma is the big deal and you're i especially in the punk rock community i'm seeing it start to start to wane it's been you know when you're When your favorite, when an artist like Anti-Flag, who you look up to and stand on the front line of a lot of social issues, are telling you it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Talk. That cuts through a lot of barriers. You know, you still get your, you know, we get people online calling punk rock saves lives. What is this hippie crap? And why are you trying? And it's so funny. And I, the nihilism thought of punk rock, um, the sex pistols thought of punk rock is so not true. It was maybe two or three years of the beginning of punk rock, but then Joe Strummer and the class changed that whole thing, you know, so they were open and saying, you know, the, the quote attributed to, to Joe Strummer is being kind to your fellow humans is the most punk thing you can do. You know, that's from that same time period. So um, why is everything so, you know, why is everything so nihilistic and everything? But, you know, we do have people that jump, you know, you can look on, you can look on Facebook and every once in a while you got somebody on there just spouting off about how we're not punk and all this. And you know what? Defining punk and gatekeeping is probably the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, we're all guilty of it. I. I put up a post this week that said, you know, when that new music festival got announced with all the emo bands, um, people were either going, this is the greatest thing ever. And people were really attacking it. And I was like, look, gatekeeping sucks, you know? And we've all done it. I've made. I've gone. Hey, that's not punk or something about a band, and yeah. you know that's not my right to say. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to learn and move forward. And what what can you do in life other than learn something every day and improve yourself? You know. So, um, so don't gatekeep. You know, what I mean? <laughs> and uh, um, is me telling people not to gatekeep? Gatekeeping? No, it's good. Um, but uh. <laughs> it's mental health is such is a challenge cuz I don't know if everybody even knows that they're having mental health challenges you know you have to you have to know you have to embrace and you have to act and those are all tough things to do um and we're trying to make that easier and there are amazing organizations out there. Um, Hope for the day. Um, there's, there's just so many that are really embracing the, to destroy the stigma. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to breathe and do and open up and, and, the old, you know, the old cliche that minds are like parachutes. They only open when they only work when they're open um, is kind of that same step. It's the, okay, I want it. I feel this has been bugging me. The isolation of COVID has been bugging me the something. Let me say it. And mm-hmm. if I say it and then I see that other people are, are, feeling the same way and need to say it and need to talk about it. Maybe someone in there goes, hey, I started drinking an extra glass of water a day and doing a walk around my neighborhood by myself during isolation and it helped. And what if you hadn't even thought about just picking up one little bit more exercise or one more, a little more hydration or something, it might help you. And it's all coming from other people saying and admitting that they needed this or they, and that's a really cool feeling. That's a really good thing. When people start to, once people start to open up and talk about it, it's
0: a hundred percent. I mean, I weirdly, I started doing gardening during lockdown that, that I ended up becoming my granddad. I think you're right. I, I think people talking about it and, and you kind of touched on something there whereabouts people might not realize that they might starting to to get kind of the, 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 the feelings of feeling depressed or down and not really understanding why, and I think that 's really important why people should talk about how they started feeling down and how it kind of progressed for themselves and, and how and how they ended up their mental health ended up becoming a little a little less than because uh, everyone 's different like, and like my, my mental health it will be completely different from ninety nine percent of other people 's mental health. But that 1% of person who hears what I'm saying, and they go, you know what, I, I've been feeling like that for the past couple of months, maybe I should go talk to someone, or maybe I should just go and and just have a conversation with a friend and be frank and honest about how I'm feeling. Like, if if that can happen, then I, I think that's a good thing. And, and I suppose that's whereabouts we're kind of encouraging people and people on a platform as well, even though... I'm, I'm not comparing myself to anti-flag going on a stage but it's if you've got a platform like this like talk about it open up about it don't be ashamed of it also like you're never going to meet these people ever again so it's fine like just just open up like the, the best people yeah. you can talk to are the strangers because you're not going to get exactly so
2: it's what if that person's sitting you know playing on you know the whole pubs ideas? what if the person sitting at the pub Or the bartender, you know, people have said for years, your bartender is your best therapist. And that's because you, you, you talk to them, you know what I mean? And that's, what if the person sitting next to you to the bar just happened to say the right thing to you that day that you didn't know you needed? And um, tell people that they have awesome shoes on. Tell people that, hey, wow, you're that outfit today is fantastic or something. You're not hitting on them. You're not being a creepy guy or something. You don't worry about that. If you think someone is rocking something, tell them because what if, what if you just told someone that you thought they had rad shoes? What if that person was walking to the bridge right then? And you just saying, Hey, those Doc Martens are really cool or something. And they go, Oh wow. That person thought, there was something cool you know what i mean you never know don't be afraid to talk to people don't be afraid to open up it's like you said that the southernness going way back i to was the gonna beginning. say
0: full circle is it just yeah. a bit of southern hospitality is yeah. is what we need to do
2: and where would where in england would you consider the same kind of movement would that be
0: the north i would say the yeah. north yeah like okay. if you go to like somewhere like newcastle they're, they're quite chatty uh, you you have to understand the Geordie accent, which for anyone who doesn't know what that sounds like, it, it, well, it,
2: remember, I worked for a Welsh band for ten years, and I had to look, I had to literally look Mike straight in the face at times to make sure I understood what he was saying. So, <laughs> well, but-
0: my my boss is Welsh. He's, he's uh, his name's Owain. And uh, every morning it's like, "All right, there, boy, how you doing?" Yeah. In the valleys, um, so so yeah, the Welsh language. The, but the Welsh are great. The Scottish are great. It is mainly the south of England. We're just a bunch of cunts. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, and that's
2: um, not all true. That's not uh, all true. So.
0: <laughs> we're going to wrap this up now, Rob. And I must say this. This is probably the least amount of questions I've ever asked anyone. So, I, I, I thank you for making my job so much more easier. But uh. But for people listening, I mean, where can they kind of support and also what's the next steps for you guys going into the future? And what is your dog called? He's just, uh, this is, show.
2: this is Walter. Hey, Walter. <laughs> Adorable. Lives.org is the worldwide website. You can get there. Um, and it is org. We did that on purpose. We probably need to buy com just so it people, it instantly redirects. Um, You can get uh, lots of stuff on the website there. We're on all the socials, Facebook, obviously, um, Instagram. Those are our two majors. We're trying to get someone to actually tweet, and I just forget about it, to be honest. (laughs) But um, somehow Facebook and Instagram got ingrained in everybody, so they're there. That's where you can get a hold of us for anything. Uh, Festivals, you know, we're... We're dear, very dear with Riot Fest. Uh, Punk Rock Bowling just announced that it's going to uh, delay, so we don't know if they're going to go for the fall again or not, but we're waiting. That's one of our favorite festivals that we do every year. Um, the whole Punk and, and uh series that they do in America as well, they come to the UK too. so They do, yeah. They uh, come to
0: Sam Dunk, yeah.
2: We're doing those in America. Um, I want to get us to the point, to where we can start coming overseas to. And we might need to just build a new chapter over there. So we will be working on that. Um, realize all of what you're seeing with Punk Rock Saves Lives is just over two years old. So we've done a lot in two years, considering three months after we started, the world hit a global pandemic. So, um, uh, But luckily, you know, the online mental health aspects and the PMA sessions, the live sessions I was doing every week. Right now we're doing about one a month. We were doing them every week during COVID when everybody was really stuck at home. Um, and that's live on Facebook every, it's on usually the first Wednesday of the month. Um, and we're gonna, we're experimenting with the idea of a podcast, um, maybe just turning it into a podcast matter of fact, I'm even looking at microphones kind of like that one. So, um, but there's so much to do. And so, so many bands and are embracing this and we'll be out there and we've got, you know, we, we've got, as your, uh, your, uh, Winchester boy, uh, Frank Turner says the best people I know are looking out for me. So, Uh, we have a lot of support and we have a lot of great bands and a lot of great festivals that really enjoy and dig and embrace what we're doing. And we're not going to quit till we, uh, we're not going to quit. Let's just put it that way. So
0: rob i hope i hope you do come over to the uk soon enough and we don't have to learn another greek alphabet or anything like that oh, yeah, uh, very <laughs>
2: true
0: but yeah I, I wish you all the best and let me know if we can do anything like punk punks and pubs to to promote and support anything that, that you want promoting just let us know but um rob thank you for talking to me pal it's been it's been fantastic
2: absolutely folks everybody be good take care of your neighbors and always remember one love up the punks
0: Thank you to Rob for taking the time to talk to me. And you can find out more about Punk Rock Saves Lives by clicking the link in the episode description of this podcast. Thank you to the lads from Take Aim Fire for sponsoring this podcast episode. You can go show them some support by checking out their work on their Bandcamp. Again, link in the episode description of this podcast. Lastly... Go get your 10% off and go to 2000 Trees Festival by using the promo code Pubs, one word, at checkout. That's it for this month. Back next, where I hope to be uh, a little bit better and not sick, because I'm fucking sick of being sick, uh, where I will hopefully be talking to a legit punk rock rorty. But till then, if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up again. RIP every time I die. Bye-bye. How ironic I'm down from the cross While the vultures stop their
1: mouths God and the devil has played my thin white life Six feet from an early grave Nine inches from being saved Eighteen hundred miles of skeletons on the interstate Why do I give myself away? Why do I give myself away?